The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. It's my particular pleasure today to introduce Pastor Ted Hamilton. Pastor Hamilton is one of our graduates. He is a graduate of uh, Stanford uh, University and of Stanford Law School, is one of that long string of ministers who are also lawyers. And he made it through this institution with an MDiv in three years with a family of two children and a wife and practicing law at the same time. And his, uh, his comment was, I didn't play any ping pong. He was living up, <laughs> he was living up in uh, Orange County at the time. So he's a model of discipline and of hard work. And he is my pastor and I have sat under his ministry for the last five and a half years. Uh, of all the pleasures that my wife and I have enjoyed in coming to California, the greatest pleasure Simply the greatest delight of ours has been to sit under the ministry of the gospel, uh, to hear the word of God from his mouth all these years. Uh, I introduce then uh, Pastor Ted Hamilton. Thank you, Charles, for that kind introduction. Uh, Good morning. It's my privilege to be with you. And uh, to the professors here, thank you for your work. I am uh, every day uh, cognizant of and appreciative of the preparation I received here, so thank you. Thank you for your good work. This morning, I want to look at the introduction to the second epistle of Peter. So if you have a Bible, open them up to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm just going to read the first four verses. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. This is God's Word. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, may the words of my mouth now and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and we pray in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. You know, I think it's, um, it's a challenge in, in, in the rigors of seminary to um, remember that this isn't just about academic growth here. You will grow academically. Uh, the rigors of this program will well prepare you for ministry, but it's always been my hope and prayer that you would experience 
what I experienced here uh, hand in hand with the academic growth and that's spiritual growth. I always believed that some of the prayer, prayers of my professors were probably worth the tuition. And uh, spiritual growth is a big theme for Peter in this second letter. Uh, we know that because he bookends the letter with it. Verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then in the very last verse of the letter, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in these first four verses, Peter, of course, doesn't say everything that he is going to say about the process of you and me growing as Christians, but he does say or lay out three important, basic, foundational truths, truths that you know, truths that his readers knew, but truths that we need to be reminded of. In fact, in this letter, Peter emphasizes that his ministry is really a ministry of reminder, and that is so much of what I do as a minister of the word, right? There aren't brilliant exegetical insights every Sunday. Uh, it's, it's a steady work of reminding people what we know to be true, because we forget. So I want to just, as a, as a way to encourage you this morning, in your spiritual growth, along with your academic growth, uh, look at these three truths that uh, Peter reminds us of. Truth number one, when it comes to spiritual growth, all Christians have the same assets. No second-class Christians. When it comes to growth, Peter describes himself here in verse 1 as both a servant and significantly as an apostle. And then he goes on to say, in verse one, to those, now he's talking about, he's, he's telling us who he's addressing this letter to, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. It's a fascinating phrase. Uh, he's writing to regular Christians, Jewish and non-Jewish, just like you and me, and Peter says that they and you and I have a faith of equal standing with his and the other apostles. How can that be? Well, there are two reasons that our faith is of equal standing with the apostles. First, Christian faith isn't produced by the one who has it. It's received by the one who has it. Right? Peter doesn't address this letter to people who have come to faith or exercised faith or arrived at faith. He says he is addressing those who have obtained faith. That's an interesting word. It's, only, it's used two other times in the New Testament, both times to refer to receiving something by lot. Right? So it, it, Peter actually chose a word that uh, eliminates merit, eliminates effort, and makes it clear uh, that faith is God's choice and it's God's gift. So it doesn't matter whether it is the faith of an apostle or the faith of a regular Joe, like me, it comes to each of us from the outside as a gift from God. And then the second reason why our faith is of equal standing with the apostles, of course, is that the only thing that gives faith any substance at all is its object, right? Faith by itself is really a nothing. And Peter says we have faith of equal standing because all Christian faith is grounded in the same thing, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
sometimes here, of course, among ourselves, we will talk in shorthand, right? We say we're saved by faith, and that's true, but that's shorthand. What we really mean is that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the righteousness of Jesus, his righteous living for you, his judgment-satisfying death for you that saves you, not your faith. So it doesn't matter in the end of the day whether you're a pastor or a plumber, whether in the past you've lived a moral life or a morally screwed up life, your faith is of equal standing with all other Christians, including even the apostles, because it's given to you by God and because it's grounded in Jesus Christ the righteous. Truth number two. Spiritual growth is not a matter of applying a code of conduct. It's a matter of building a relationship with the crucified, risen, and living Lord Jesus. In his uh, massive, seminal, and difficult-to-read work, Charles Taylor, uh, 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 Secular Age, uh, he, Canadian philosopher, crit critiquing our culture's attempts to articulate morality without a reference to an external source of morality like God. He says, you know, we have, high, we have all these high moral expectations, and so what we do as a culture is fixate on moral articulation, and we come up with more and more scrupulous codes of conduct, codes of behavior. And you see that, right, in the propagation of legislation, in the... Uh, hate speech and political correctness codes, in, uh, particularly in the arenas of uh, uh, higher education. And, and he says the problem is, with that, with in increasing moral articulation, uh, is, is that they don't work. It doesn't work. And, it, they, and he says those codes don't work because they don't have, quote, moral motivational power. Taylor says, codes don't make you care for your neighbor. Yeah. And of course, it's, it's not that, uh, uh, it, now why is that, right? Why, why is it that codes don't work? Verse four, Peter tells us, because there's a corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Um, there's a corruption internal to human beings at the level of desire, at the level of the heart. And you can layer on as many morality codes as you want. And as Woody Allen said in his infamous 2001 Time Magazine interview, where he was rationalizing his questionable sexual choices, the heart wants what it wants. That is a chilling interview, by the way. I would commend it to you. You can find it online. It, Time Magazine, the editors of Time, interviewed Woody Allen in the wake of um, revelations that he had had sexual relationships with the daughter of his lover. And the editors were, quite frankly, morally outraged uh, and were pressing uh, Woody Allen in this interview. And you can hear, you, just reading the interview, you can sense the tension growing. And it's near the end of the interview where in frustration, Woody Allen says, look, the heart just wants what it wants. That's enough. That's enough justification for what I've done. Sin, right? 
So it's not, of course, that codes are wrong or unimportant, right? Scriptures as codes of behavior, they just lack moral motivational power in and of themselves. That moral motivational power comes from a relationship with a person. And for us, it comes from a relationship with Jesus. Uh, verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in or by the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter strikes the same note in verse three. God's power that leads to godliness is channeled to us, how? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And that's just not, we're not talking about just cognitive knowledge, we're talking about relational knowledge. The key to growing in grace, right? that divine power at work in you, for your, undeserved divine power working in you for your good. The key to growing in uh, peace, and all the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, like kindness and patience and self-control, is growing in your knowing of Jesus. It wasn't a code that made Polycarp, right, the disciple of John, the Bishop of Smyrna, welcome the Roman soldiers who, and show them hospitality when they came to his home to arrest him. It wasn't a code uh, that uh, gave Polycarp the strength to hold to his confession of Jesus Christ when the Roman authorities commanded him to curse Christ. It wasn't a rule that gave Polycarp utter peace as he walked to his execution. We know what he said. The witnesses wrote down what he said. Four score and six years have I served him and he has never done me harm. How then can I curse my king that saved me? That statement testifies to a relationship, doesn't it? That's a man who knew Jesus. He knew his King and Savior, and it was that knowledge, that relationship that produced in him that remarkable love for his enemies and a unearthly peace in the face of death. That's what made Polycarp who he was, and it is, going, and it is what is gonna make you and me as followers of Jesus, who we are, the whole people that God intends us to be. Finally, truth number three about spiritual growth. Um, you have no excuses, brothers and sisters. Uh, you have no excuse for a lack of spiritual growth, for a lack of spiritual transformation in your life. Why? Because you have everything you need right now. Several years ago, I went uh, backpacking and was already way back up in the high country before I realized that I had left my pocket knife at home. And uh, all of a sudden, there were things that I was planning on doing that I couldn't do without a knife. I was planning on catching fish and cleaning them and eating them. It's better than freeze-dried food. Couldn't do that without a knife. Uh, and everything became clumsier and harder, right? Cutting rope, opening up packages of freeze-dried food. Uh, I, I muscled through the trip, got home, and I was unpacking, tipped my bag over, my pack over, and you can guess what happened, right? You can guess what fell out of my pack, right? There it was, on the floor, my knife. It was there all the time. I'd forgotten, I'd put it in a, uh, in a small hidden pocket of my pack, and it is, that's sort of a picture of what sometimes our growth process as Christians is like. We, we forget what we are already possessing. 
what we already have. We're lugging it around and we forget that we have it. Peter says in verse three, through the means of knowing Jesus Christ, God's divine power has granted to you and me. Notice the past tense already. He is, God's divine power has granted to you and me all things that pertain to life and godliness, all things. We already have those things granted to us. And in verse four, he describes three of them, three of the universe of all things that pertain to life and godliness. First, at this moment, you are the beneficiary of precious and very great promises. Don't let the, you know, your pursuit of systematic theology, your pursuit of biblical theology, your pursuit of the tools of practical theology make you forget that this isn't, you're not here as an abstract theological exercise. You're learning these things to know Jesus more and to know yourself as a beneficiary of promises made by Jesus to you. Make it personal. You are, you are the beneficiary of precious and very great promises, Jesus to you. Promises that you will know and experience peace, rest, joy, supply of all your needs, perseverance through all your trials, no separation from his love, all things working together for good, life with him after you die. Second, you've already escaped the corruption that it's in the world that comes from sinful desire, right? Again, notice the past tense. You've already escaped it. What Woody Allen said about the human heart is not ultimately true of the Christian's heart. The Christian heart wants what God wants, not perfectly, not all the time. I know, we still struggle. But there has at, our, at a very fundamental level, right, we have, there's been a definitive break from the power of sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. You are not a victim of sin anymore. You're not a slave of sin anymore because Jesus became the victim of sin for you on the cross. And finally, third, and most amazingly, as you lean on the promises of the gospel, you become a partaker of the divine nature. There's a loaded phrase. Um, I perhaps should leave that one to your professors to explain. Um, we can't unpack it completely here. Uh, it, it, certainly, it doesn't mean you become divine. And at a minimum, it must mean that as you come to know Jesus, and trust in his promises that you partake in the divine nature by possessing his Holy Spirit. Right? The, the Lord affects that mystical union between you and Jesus and does that through his spirit, his indwelling spirit. It is as if you had God's spiritual DNA and when you have that DNA, you will bear the family resemblance. You will increasingly bear his image. You can't fight DNA. So, no excuses, friends, right? Our lives must and will change. Jesus has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God will see to it that we change. So it's my prayer and uh, my pleasure to pray for you, and especially as I, as I teach the first year preaching class this semester. As you dig in and continue your studies here this semester, that uh, through those studies and through the example of your professors, 
and the prayers of your professors, that you will come to know the living Jesus more deeply and as a result, bear more fully his image in your life, uh, in your relationships, and ultimately in the ministries that God is preparing you for here. Godspeed to you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for this institution. Lord, I pray that you would continue to protect it and provide for it, that it may continue the important work of preparing, preparing your people for the work of ministry. And uh, I ask that you would bless these students, uh, encourage them in their studies, and, and may they grow both academically and spiritually as they proceed. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.